listening to First Church Charlotte. We are in Genesis chapter number 12, and we will read at verse number 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. There he built an altar to the Lord. So I'm going to teach for a little while from this subject of building altars. We all of us need some altars in our life. Can I have an amen? Amen. Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor and tell him real quick, you need to build an altar. (laughs) Amen. So to our guests and friends with us today, thank you for worshiping with us. We're glad you're here. Uh, We are expecting the Lord to do something for you uh, today and bless you in a real way. So uh, this idea of altars is throughout the scripture. It's not just an Old Testament idea. Uh, Very much is fulfilled in the New Testament. And you read a lot of the theology of that in the book of Hebrews where we learn about Christ becoming our sacrifice and Christ becoming a better offering, a better sacrifice, a better tabernacle, a better high priest, and a better lamb, a better spiritual covering than anything that had happened in the Old Testament. So this idea of an altar is throughout the word of the Lord. And uh, if you've served God very long, you, you, you have heard about altars. If you grew up in the church, you are comfortable with the idea of someone calling people to an altar or making an altar call. Uh, we think of altars as, as places of, of spiritual encounter. Uh, in fact, if you look at the scripture and you look at all the different ways that altars are used in the scripture, uh, you'll see things like this. The altar is shown as a place of spiritual encounter. How many of you would like to have an encounter with God? I want that in my life on a regular basis. Altars are shown as a place of spiritual encounter. Uh, Altars are also shown as a place of forgiveness. Uh, Now, you know you need a place of forgiveness in your life. Thank God for one guilty soul over here who said amen. No one else thought they needed it, but me and and Brother Brent were like, we need altars, my God. And if we think otherwise, our wives tell us, right? That's how that works. We need places of encounter. We also need places of forgiveness. Thirdly, you'll see altars in the scripture as places of worship. Worship is part of what we do. It's fundamentally part of what we do. Worship is part of our Christian purpose purpose. Uh, Let me say that again. I want you to consider it. A life of worship is part of your purpose. It's part of why you were created. This is why it's so important that we uh, make worship fundamentally a part of who we are and how we serve the Lord. Um, I want to remind you, uh, worship isn't about you being good enough. Worship is about who God is. Uh, If you allow your unworthiness to stop your heart's habit of worship, uh, you're not going to be much of a worshiper. You have to set your eyes on who God is. And you got to worship him because he's worthy. Can I have an amen? you got to worship him because he is mighty, he is great, and greatly to be praised. If you wait until you feel spiritual, you may not be much of a worshiper. If you wait until you're with other worshipers, well, you're always going to be limited in your worship. But 
if you take worship as one of the reasons why I was created, to be one who brings attention to God, if you take that on as a personal purpose, worship will be more than what you do on Sunday with the praise team. Come on now, I've already started preaching. I've already started preaching. In a minute, I'll come down to your road. Don't worry. But until then, I've already started. Worship is not something you just do on Sundays. Worship is a lifestyle choice. It is one of the most important choices we make as believers, as Christians. Because, believe it or not, you are God's plan to reach your world. That's some fine preaching, Brother Nathan. My goodness. You are God's plan to reach your world. I don't live in your world. I live in my world. I have a different set of influences. I have a different set of relationship attachments and the like in my world than you have in your world. But God decided that you would be his light in your world. You would be the city set on the hill in your world. And so it is that you must see that you are a worshiper. Don't wait until until you're perfect or, you're, or you'll never get any worship started. It's not about you. It's about him. And so we choose worship fundamentally as part of our spiritual worship. You also see, you also in the see in the scripture that altars are a place of covenant. This is a, this is a very important spiritual principle because we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Yes, we have been chosen and ordained by God and we are thusly covenant holders with him. Uh, And lastly, you see altars as places of intercession. And you see all of these factors in the scripture happening at a place of an altar, a place of encounter, a place of forgiveness, a place of worship, a place of covenant, a place of intercession. And so just like Abraham, all of us are on a journey. This, This image, this biblical image of a journey is shown all through the word of God. It is so consistent, starts all the way with the patriarchs and goes all the way through the apostles as they go on missionary journeys and they go out to share the gospel with the world. We all of us are are, are shown again and again scripturally this idea of a walk with God being a, a journey. If you are not on a literal journey like, I don't know, say a nomadic type journey. Uh, You are on a spiritual journey. You're not who you were when you first started walking with God, but neither are you who you ought to be. Thank God for a good amen on that. When I thought I was going to have to preach for two hours today to get through to this, this group around here, I want to tell you, you're not who you used to be, but you're not who you ought to be. The only one who is who they ought to be today is Brother Hill. Brother Hill is who he ought to be today. That's right. Why can I say that? Brother Hill turned 80 years old today. Brother Hill's who he ought to be. I know he's going to heaven because he's been married to Sister Hill. And she has kept him lined up in all respects. 80 years. Here, here, brother. Well done. Well done. Happy birthday to Brother Hill. So, but the rest of you carnal suckers, you're not who you ought to be yet. <laughs> you're still becoming. You're still walking. You're still striving. You're not who you used to be. Somebody say yes. I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not who I ought to be either. And one of the toughest things of walking with God is surviving the in-between places. 
Uh, you're like you're like you're like Moses, who is uh, seeming like he's stuck in between. He 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 has purpose and he sees purpose and he sees need and he thinks his uh, God's investment in him should meet the need and yet when he tries to do it in his own abilities it fails miserably he's sent to the wilderness wilderness is an in-between place and in the in-between places of our life a lot of times we get I don't know we we, uh, kind of lose our way we lose our our passion we lose our focus but we are all of us on this journey God has a big investment in you you need to believe that or you'll never try to do anything for God. You need to believe that God has a big investment in you. God has gifted you in a certain way. He has opened certain doors for you and therefore you're able to be a light in your community. You're able to do something for him. If you don't believe that, if you're always down on yourself, if you're, you know, negative Nelly, if you always have a really bad attitude like Tiffany, then you'll know how I'm talking about how you're always struggling with it. You don't feel like you have enough of an investment. You need more. God doesn't give me, I'm here to tell you God made a big investment in you. God loves you. He has blessed you. He has empowered you and you can do something for God. I said, I said, you can do something for God. And so when you believe that and you begin to live that way and you begin to pray that way, your eyes start to open to see. And so you're on this journey and you're progressing and you're, uh, you see this in the life of Abraham and it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal because I think it is the best understanding that we can see in, in, in a human context of how each of us progresses with God where we where it's not a formula where kind of stamped and then God, the angry accountant's always checking our credentials and our formula's done. It's not really that it's, it's much more of a leading and a guiding and a journeying God will begin working with you when you're far from him. God will begin convicting you when you're far from where you ought to be. And you'll feel that in your life. You'll feel that little tap on the heart's door as you know you're being called to a closer walk with him. You know you're being challenged to something that is before you. And we decide day by day and moment by moment whether we we respond to that spiritual pull or we allow distraction and the like to keep us away from from that. It's it's, it's just like this journey of Abraham. And first, first, he is in his homeland and the Lord speaks to him for the first time. And it's kind of a shock, you know, it's not what he's familiar with. He has no elder to lead him. Abraham's father is a, worships a moon goddess that is prevalent in the region. Abraham's the first generation, the original first generation believer. And he uh, begins this faith while he, he chooses to believe. And this is so important because uh, we can choose not to believe. We can, we can choose to always put God on trial as though God's the one who is on trial and we are the judge. When uh, truthfully, faith turns that on its head and it goes like this, God is the judge and I'm the one on trial. You see, this is a choice Abraham makes and he begin. okay, the Lord has challenged me, I feel it, I have experienced the presence of God, I'm going to start walking uh, in, in this path that I see and I really don't, I really don't have a, a clear path at this point. I just know God's challenged me to leave my comfort zone. He's challenged me to a different kind of life. I've, I've been living here. I've been living here in this, this, this kind of agrarian society and, and we have fields and we have walled cities and we have houses with roofs. And here the Lord calls me to kind of trade that certainty and that comfort in for a a much different kind of life where I am literally looking for a city of God. I'm I'm literally looking for a place that it is founded, ordered, directed, and purposed upon God. 
there. That's what I'm looking for. And Abraham begins this search. He's looking. He's, he's kind of seeking. And, and he's going to make this long journey. And he's going to get out of his comfort zone. And finally, he's going to arrive at the place where we read in, in the book of Genesis. In this moment of, 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 of spiritual uh, encounter where he, having arrived in this land, he pa- passes through the land of Shechem and, and over the plain of Morah. Uh, Mora. And then he, in this, this land that he thinks of as the Canaanite land, he, he builds an altar unto the Lord. Now, uh, what's really fascinating to me is most of us do not build altars, we build shelters. That's what most of us want for our life is shelter, not altars. Does that make sense? If we're going to build something, honey, it's going to be warm in the winter and shaded in the summer. That's all I have to say about that. We want to build shelter, and yet that is the thing God is challenging him not to build. Instead, God challenges him to build an altar. And so you see this life choice. It's the faith life choice. I am going to build an altar and let God be my shelter. I'm going to choose this life where there's something in the future. I'm looking for something. This world is not my home. I'm just kind of walking. I'm just kind of passing through it. I am building an altar so that God might be my shelter. You know, altars are broken out of, they're built out of pieces. They're, uh, you pile rocks to build a, 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 an altar. It's, it's literally pieces uh, that, uh, uh, of rock. Now, you can find bedrock where there's this monolithic rock and that be your altar, but that's not how it happens in the scripture. It's always a gathering of pieces, and I love that image because uh, it, it is as though it's all of us. We, made in the image of God, are separated or broken through sin, and we're separated from God, and yet at an altar, all of these broken pieces are together as we make offering to the Lord. I love the images, and there's too much here. I won't do any of these images justice here in the short time we have, but it's so, it's powerful, and there's a teaching truth in it all, and here Abraham puts together these these stones. He, he doesn't have a format. There's not a plan. He, he, he doesn't really have a book to refer to. There's no formula tacked on the wall somewhere. He can't call Uncle, Uncle Bob, the spiritual one of the family, and say how to do this. It literally is the actions and the work of of his heart. It is truly foundationally from its beginning to the end an offering to God. And so he builds this altar and he sacrifices unto the Lord. This is an altar of beginnings. Beginnings are important for all of us. Never, never uh, be condescending toward beginnings. Beginnings are super important. Uh, some people have said that getting started on something's half the battle. And that may be the truth with many things because just the act of getting committed, did you hear what I just said? The act of getting committed is half the battle. After that, it's one foot in front of the other. <laughs> you just work the work that's in front of you. And so this altar is an altar of beginnings. It is an altar of, of first efforts toward God. And, and all of us have beginnings in our respective walks with, with God and our respective journeys of faith. We have beginnings and, and uh, we have kind of initial steps. And it may be that you're here today and you, you don't come from a real religious background and, and you've made that altar of beginnings. You have, you have 
initially, as it were, dedicated your heart toward God. But, but that's the first altar in Abraham's life. And Abraham, not soon after this, this altar, uh, the famine comes through the land. There's lots of trouble and, and he's afraid and fearful. And he decides in his trouble, he decides that he's going to go to Egypt. God doesn't tell him to go to Egypt. Uh, there's no uh, angel that says, thou shalt get thee hence to the Egyptian horizon. Nothing like that. Uh, it's simply he, he, he decides to go and Egypt is a real challenge for him. He has such character flaws and he's so afraid in Egypt. And all of us are afraid of things. Don't act like you're not. We all of us are afraid of things. We're all afraid of different things. And when you're, when you're young, you have different fears than when you're old. Little people are afraid of zombies. I am not afraid of zombies. I am a zombie. Just catch me after I've eaten cheesecake. And you'll be like, oh, more cheesecake. You get the idea. That's your, your fear has changed. My little girl, we, we were down in Orlando. And she's afraid. There's this thing, that were like a scary thing. I, 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 I wasn't there for this. I heard this secondhand through my wife. And uh, it's like this animatronic of this spooky thing on the deal. And then you go around the corner. And this person dressed up jumps out and scares you. And everybody goes through. They're not afraid of the animatronic thing. But when they go around the corner and this person dressed up jumps out. Then they're terrified. You hear the screams all the way to the back of the line, you know. Well, my little girl, she's four. Uh, she's scared of different things. She was scared of the animatronics. And so she's like holding on to her mom, going and looking at those animatronics. Gets around the corner and the person jumps out and she says, oh, hey, it's a human. Hi, human. <laughs> You're afraid of different things than I'm afraid of. The point, the point of, uh, of this is here's Abraham down in Egypt. He's filled with fear and his character crumbles under the test. I'm glad the Lord gives us stories, real stories like this. Because otherwise when our, crumb, our character crumbles, we would think there's no hope for us. We would think there's no future for us. But when uh, we fall, the Bible tells us we ought to get back up again. Abraham, he, he makes mistakes down there. He lies about his wife. He, he literally has to get run out of town by Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's uh, uh, guards because uh, the whole awkwardness of the story with his wife. And uh, he, he's afraid. that Anyway, it's complicated. The point is, is he, Egypt's a disaster. And he gets back and you see him build the second altar in his life. This is not an altar of beginnings. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want all of you to see this today, if you will. This is not an altar of beginnings. Uh, a lot of people can create that, uh, that beginnings. They, they can go to that altar of beginnings and they can get started, but they don't have a plan when they, when they fall along the way. They don't have a plan after a big setback. In fact, a big setback convinces them they ought to just give up. The setback convinces them that God never really had uh, much of an investment in them per se, and, and they're, just going to, they're just going to quit. But I, I want all of you, I want all of you to see in the life of Abraham, there is an altar of renewal. And after the embarrassment of Egypt, after the failings of Egypt, he's back. He is back in this place where he built his first altar and he builds his second altar here in chapter number 13 of Genesis where he goes back and he makes things right. Every one of us needs altars of renewal in our life. Can I have an amen? We all of us need to get back on track. None of us are so fallen and so, when none of us have erred so much that there is not 
God place in our heart to rebuild an altar. That first altar was an altar of beginnings, but the second altar is an altar of renewal. I'm here to tell you, I want you to hear me today. If you don't have an altar of renewal, the first big test you go through is going to be the end of you. The first failure you live through is going to be the end of you. You need to be able to go back and you need to say, I am at an altar of renewal. I'm going to make things right. I am going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated. I've come too far. Oh, hallelujah. I said, I've come too far to give up today. I will not be defeated. I'm going all the way home. When I was growing up, we used to sing a song. You're going to make it. Man, I love that song. You've got what it takes to win. I still sing that song, as you can tell. I don't sing because it drives people out of the church. But in my heart, I'm singing that song as loud as I can. You've got what you need to make it. You've got Jesus on your side. You're stronger than you feel. I said you're stronger than you feel. You're able to keep on going. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can destroy your hope in Christ Jesus. You are going to make it. And you see, this isn't the only altar in his life either. It's not just an altar of beginning, not just an altar of renewal. Uh, You see Abraham come to a third altar in his walk with God. And it is at this third altar that we read about uh, in chapter number 13, verses 17 and 18, where the Lord gives him a picture of of what God is going to do through him, what, is God, what God is going to do for him and through him. And it is at this moment when he, he sees a purpose beyond him himself. And it is here where we read the Lord speaking and saying uh, to get up and walk through the land, walk the length of it, and walk the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. He literally, with his feet is measuring out the dimensions of God's promise. Does that make sense? He, with his feet, literally is measuring the dimensions of God's promise in his life. Uh, This land is really not for Abraham. Uh, It's for Abraham's children. It's not simply for what for him to enjoy. It's this place of divine blessing and covenant that God has prepared for the house of Israel. And it will be known in the house of Israel as the promised land. And at this altar, it's as though the Lord wants Abraham to lift up his eyes and see uh, a work that is to be defined by him, a future that is to be accomplished through him. And so it is in your life. If you walk with God for a little while, God's going to show you that you have a work to do. And God's going to show you that you have a, you have opportunities to be a light shining in your world, in your community. And he's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge you to get up, not to think about it, not even to pray about it, but to go do it. You see, that's the challenge. There comes a point where we can stall and stall and stall. We do everything but actually put our walking shoes on and hit the trail and say, I claim this promise for the kingdom of God. It's not simply about ourselves, but it is about that work which can be done through us, that which is beyond us. It is the call of God on your life. And I want, to, I want all of you to know today that there is a call of God on your life. 
You see, one of the, one of the uh, great, great uh, weaknesses of thinking in terms of, of, of prosperity is if we're not careful, uh, we, we begin to think in terms of, uh, you know, God, it's God's purpose to bless me. And this, this shows the weakness of our understanding. Uh, blessing is of, I believe God's will, and I believe God loves to bless his children. I really do. Uh, in the same manner that you like to bless your children, God likes to bless his children. Um, if you do what we did and take your kids down to, uh, uh, Disney World, uh, what you'll do is you'll get there, and um, there's this hypnotic state that you will go into, and Walt Disney will appear in front of you, and he will say, give me your wallet, and um, you just take your wallet out of your back pocket, and you just give him the whole thing, and then you just walk around like, hmm, and then you get back to your hotel, and you realize that all your money is gone, and the little doll that your four-year-old saw, and she's like, oh, a princess, that'll, yeah, Walt Disney's like, that will be $49,000. And you know they got it in China for 49 cents, but in, well, it's $49,000. And, and it costs, well, you love to do things for your kids. I, I, I have a confession to make. I'm not an amusement park person. I know some people are. I just, I'm not an amusement park person. And um, I, I'll ride all the rides, but I, it, anyway, it just doesn't seem like, you, you take a family to amusement park, I mean, it's, it's like 500 bucks to take a family to amusement park. It's crazy. And that just kills my victory right there. And that's all it takes. I'm ready to give up, you know. And um, uh, so we, 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 we take our family and, and we get, we walk into the magic kingdom. Yeah. And there's the castle and they have, they have this, 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 this princess or whatever out front dancing and all these characters. And I, I'm grumpy on the inside. I'm like, what a waste of money. This is the most ignorant mess I've ever seen in my life. I'm grumpy. I walk in and I, I, I get down there and I look down and I see Ellery's face and there's such wonder on her face she's just like and at that moment I, I was glad I had spent that $500 <laughs> I believe it's God's will to bless you you're his children and he loves you but the blessing is not your purpose you see it's at the third altar that you discover that there is a promise beyond your own blessing. It's not about your blessing. It's about for the others that others might be blessed. Abraham doesn't need the land for himself, but it's for others to be blessed. And so this third altar is an altar, a challenge of an altar of direction, an altar of seeing a world beyond your own little world. And even here, even here, it's not the end of the altars in Abraham's life. And I want you to see this final altar that's in Abraham's life. And it's, it's an altar that is so in its own way it's disturbing because the image is is goes against everything that we feel because uh, on this altar it, it it's as though that Abraham is going to offer his son Isaac as an offering unto the Lord and that that goes against not only our human feeling but it also goes against the Bible's teaching itself the Bible's clear uh, on this subject of of offering any human human as an offering first of all I want to help you with the story Story by reminding you the story is not at this moment really about Abraham. You see, Abraham can't offer Isaac. Isaac is not innocent. <laughs> Isaac is not a perfect sacrifice. The story is not about Abraham. The story at this moment is about what God's going to do for us at Calvary. Amen. And the story of Abraham's willingness 
shows what God does after we surrender. And so you see Abraham leading his son, his beloved son, his only, his only um, uh, son of promise. He, he has another son, but, but, but Isaac is his son of promise. And, and uh, he, he's walking up to this place of Mount Moriah, and there he's going to offer, and he doesn't understand. He's confused. The issue is not, do you understand? The issue is, are you submitted? The end of our path always leads us to a place of absolute submission to God. And this is the hardest thing any of us do. That place of true submission and surrender. Many of us will do well as long as we understand. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently and they were explaining how mad they were over this that happened. And I, I, basically, I basically said, look, if you never understand, is it okay? And they, they, they didn't like the idea. And I could see them wanting to tell me off inside. You guys don't think that I know when you want to tell me off. But I know. I have a gift. I can tell when you want to tell me off. And um, she, she wanted to tell me off really much. And she didn't want it to say. He didn't want to say it's okay if she never understood. But that's the challenge of the last altar in the life of Abraham. Can you obey when you don't understand? Because if you cannot, you will never really be able to have God fulfill his completed work in you because you only surrender if you understand. Abraham, this story I want to tell through you is not about you. Do you see, guys? Do you see? Abraham, this story I want to tell through you is prophetic insight. It's prophetic truth about uh, what I'm going to do. And if you have to understand, Abraham, I can't tell this story for you through you. The prophecy is going to have to come through someone else. I need someone who will trust me and let me tell a story about what I'm going to do through uh, their submission. And here comes Abraham uh, and Isaac sees something's wrong. We have, we have wood for the offering. We have coals for the fire. But, 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 but dad, I, I don't see an offering. And Abraham, because he submitted and because he knows God's character, he's able to keep following when he does not understand because he understands the character of the one he is serving. And he says, son, the Lord will provide for himself a, a sacrifice. Mm. Boy, if I could preach, I'd preach that. I don't understand how you're going to do this, God, but I trust your character and I obey your voice. I don't know what the end of this circumstance is going to be, but I trust your character and I obey your voice. And so I say, uh, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And so Abraham goes to that mountaintop and there his son on the altar, and the Lord stops Abraham. Isaac was never really at any risk because the point was the prophetic insight to be transferred generationally through the word of God. The point was not that Isaac was a suitable sacrifice. Isaac could not be a suitable sacrifice. The Lord had to provide for himself a lamb. And so Abraham stops and Isaac comes off the altar. Isaac, that's all of us. We come off the altar and in our stead is placed the sacrifice that the Lord has provided and the Lord has prepared. This is the story of covenant. If you will make the altars of your life that you can build, if you will make them true and you will make them sincere, then God will take care of the altars that you cannot. 
that altar of beginning. That's your altar. You need to decide in your heart, I'm going to believe. I'm going to fight for my belief. I'm not going to just take up a, 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 the criticisms of an unbelieving society. I'm going to strive to believe. I'm going to, I'm going to strive to believe. And if I don't have faith, I'm going to choose hope. Hope is where faith is born. I hope it's true. I hope it's true. But out of that comes faith. I believe it's true. Don't look down your nose at hope. The writer said, hope is the anchor of your souls. And you build that that's the altar of beginnings. And after that, you need altars of renewals because you're going to get out of your path. You're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to start over. You're going to have to pray through. Yes, that part was for you. You're going to have to pray through. You're going to have to go back to that altar and make things right. Thirdly, you're going to have to see an altar that's beyond you. It is about the work that God is doing. It's not about your kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about what you possess. It's what God possesses. It's an altar of purpose. It's an altar of calling and all of you need to find that altar. But finally, the only altar left is an altar of surrender. I cannot do this. All I can do is show up and build an altar. God, you have to provide a sacrifice. But if we will do what we can do, God will do what we could never do. God will do what you cannot do. God will wash you. God will cleanse you. God will present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. The writer said, if you will do what you can do, God will keep his covenant. God will be true to his word. And when you've done all and the only thing left to do is wash your hands of the trouble, you can indeed wash your hands and step back and say, God, you are the great covenant keeper. You are the one who has kept me low these many years. You are the one who sustains me. You are my shelter from the storm. I've committed my life to your hands, oh God. I've taken correction as a son. I've taken correction as a true son or a true daughter. And I've let you speak righteousness into my path. And I've let you correct me and get me back on the straight and narrow. And Lord, I'm willing to see a calling beyond my own wishes and wants. I'm able to see a kingdom of God beyond my own needs and my own ego. I'm able to see that which is beyond. But Lord, at this final altar, the only thing I can do is be submitted completely unto you and know you are covering me with your perfect covering righteous blood. And I am clean today through what you have done at Calvary. Let's all stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So we end our services uh, with unified, organized prayer. Uh, we, it's, it's like we have a prayer service at the end of the worship service. And so the reason why we do this is we don't want to simply be hearers of the word, right? We, we want to we take some action. We we don't want to just receive truth. Now, when I preach the word of God, I give you truth. But you also need spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You need to let God work in your heart. You need to let his spirit flow over you. Some of you guys are facing things in your life and you don't, 
You don't know right now how you're going to make it. You don't have an answer right here today. I want to pray over you today. I want you to allow the power of God to get down in your life. So this is what we're going to do. My, our ministry team is going to come. They're going to be down here in the front. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray over you. And as I do, those of you who are with need, you have needs in your body perhaps. You have sickness in your body. I preach the word to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is your opportunity to take a step of faith and let someone anoint you with oil and pray with you. Now, if you're visiting with us, you don't have to come. I don't want you in any way to feel any pressure. In fact, if you if you need to go, you can be dismissed. But we need a move of God in this house here today. We need the Spirit of God to work in our heart and in our life. And if you have a need, you don't need to walk out of here with the same feeling and fear toward that need you had when you walked in this place. You need some victory in your life here today. And this is for you to receive victory in your life. So I'm going to pray those of you with needs in your life, step out of your seats. Come down here, stand in front of some of our ministers. They're going to begin to pray with you. They're going to speak life over you today. They're going to speak God's protection over you. They're going to call upon the name of Jesus in your life. Those of you who are remaining in your seats, just extend hands toward these who are coming here today and speak God's blessing upon them. We're going to turn this whole service into a prayer service for a little while. And I'd like all of you strong in the Lord. I'd like you to be a participator, not simply an observer. I'd like you to find somebody. I'd like you to call upon the name of the Lord. I'd like your prayers to make a difference here today. Lord Jesus, I'm praying over these wonderful, beautiful people here today. I'm praying over them according to the instruction of Scripture. And I'm praying that you would protect them. I'm praying that you would keep them. Lord, we have people here today who are sick in their bodies and they need healing. They need true healing in their life. And you are our healer. You can pour upon us a healing that our body is incapable of itself. We can be changed, oh God. We can come to a, 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 your presence with a disease and in a moment be healed. Or healing can happen in time and with process. Lord, however you would work your will in our life, we surrender to that, Lord Jesus, and we call upon you right now. That's right, church. Let's, let's call upon you. Hallelujah. You know, you know what prayer does? Prayer for, forces us to surrender. It truly forces us to surrender. That's why. That's why prayer happens at altars. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer meeting where you try to tell God what to do. I've had a few of those. They didn't feel much like prayer. They felt a whole lot like frustration. Altars are not about us giving God life coaching. Altars are about us surrendering. And isn't how, isn't it amazing how often path out of our struggle is surrender. Where we fight, we fight, we fight, we fight, we fight, we fight. We wrestle with the angel, we wrestle with the angel, we wrestle with the angel, and pretty soon we can't wrestle with the angel anymore, and all of a sudden the fight's done. Why? We surrender. And so, the great advantage of taking a need to God is it's not just a to-do list for God. 
it's a surrender list for us. <laughs> and most of us are much more comfortable giving God a to-do list than us making a surrender list. But an altar is a place for a surrender list. You know this situation that's been driving me nuts, God? I'm leaving that at the altar today. Check. You know the situation I've been trying to do through the flesh? Honey, if there's a way you could do it, it'd be done. <laughs> I'm leaving it right here. Check. I surrender. Lord, I pray for your people today. I'm so thankful for what you've done here among us. I'm thankful for the ones who received the Holy Ghost here today. It's exciting, Lord, and we rejoice in that. I'm thankful for the people who received new hope here today. That's exciting to us, oh God. I'm thankful for the people who repented of sin in their life or repented of the, the way they've been distracted away from your calling or your place. Uh, Lord, with the angels of heaven, we rejoice with them. And Lord Jesus, we surrender today. Lead us, guide us. We will follow you according to your will in Jesus name and can the church say amen put your hands together one more time give the Lord a hand of praise amen my sister right here has been seeking for the Holy Ghost for a long time today she got the Holy Ghost praise God that's right you celebrate that's right you celebrate Today is lesson four. Oh, real quick. Today's lesson four of first steps. This is the personality test. If you haven't had that, right out that doors, right across the street. Today we're starting our summer uh, week of prayer and fasting. We're not having the Friday night because of you guys' summer schedule. I've talked to a lot of you, and we have a lot of people that are, it's just not a, a good week. Uh, so we're not having the Friday night. We will have seven days of prayer fasting, and Sunday will be Communion Sunday. Our next Passion Week will be for in the fall. We have Brother Mark Foster, pastored many years in North Carolina, also pastored many years in uh, Louisiana. He will be here for that Passion Week. This week is a summer Passion Week, seven days prayer and fasting. God bless you. We'll see you on whole Wednesday night, perhaps. If not then, we'll see you Sunday. God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.